Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. I have said many times before, baptism is the second greatest event in our life. Because when we are baptized, Jesus comes and he's present at our baptism and he joins his life with our life. And in doing so, from that moment forward, we share a life with Jesus Christ and will never be separated ever again. For all of eternity, we will share a life with Christ. And that gives us the promise of immortality to come, the promise of salvation. Now, you may ask yourself, well, if that's the second greatest event in our life, what is the greatest event? When we see the beatific vision, when we come face to face with Jesus Christ in heaven, then we know we've made it. Now we know we are going to be with God and all the saints and the angels for all of eternity. That truly will be the greatest event in our life. Now, the scripture readings talk to us about that, the resurrection, salvation. Turn to the first reading. Here we have the reading from 2 Maccabees. Now, in this story for this weekend, it's the foreshadowing of our doctrine of the resurrection. Now, this story is based upon a time in which the Jews are being persecuted by Antiochus. He's a Syrian ruler of Palestine, and he's tried to impose Greek culture and religion upon all the people in Palestine, which is present-day Israel, especially the Jews. In this case, in the first reading, he's forcing the people all to eat pork. Now, we know the Jewish people do not eat pork because they see the pig as an unclean animal. And so, we have this family, the mother and her seven sons. They resist and they refuse to eat even when faced with a threat of torture and death. One of the sons says to his executioner, You cursed fiend, you are depriving us of this present life, but the king of the world will raise us up to live again forever. And then another brother says, When his execution was near, it is my choice to die as the hands of men with the hope of God He gives us being raised up by him. Notice the confidence in their words about the resurrection. The two brothers, in fact, all of the brothers, are very confident that the Lord will raise them up after their death. And so it begs the question, are we that confident? Does our faith reassure us? Does it give us some confidence in the resurrection? Or do we have some doubt about it? Now that's a great segue into the gospel. Here we have Jesus talking with the Sadducees about the resurrection. The Sadducees try and set a trap for Jesus. We learn from the very beginning of the gospel passage for this morning that the Sadducees are a sect of Judaism that doesn't believe in the resurrection. Now, why is that? Well, because they follow the Mosaic law to the letter of the law. 
And the Mosaic law never mentions anything about the resurrection. Now, mind you, if you've been recognizing the Gospels for the past several weeks, Jesus has been preaching to us about salvation and the resurrection. Take, for example, last week's Gospel. It was about Zacchaeus, yes, but remember what Jesus says at the very end of that story. He says, today's salvation has come to this house. Well, he's not referring to the physical structure of our house that we live in. Instead, he's referring to the house of our soul. And so Jesus has been teaching us for the past several weeks about salvation and the resurrection, and he continues this week. Now, since these Sadducees don't believe in the doctrine of the resurrection, they set a trap for Jesus to embarrass him and to refute that his teaching on the resurrection is ridiculous. Now, to set that trap, the Sadducees use a technique of argument called reductio ad absurdum, which is Latin for reduction to the absurd. Essentially, it takes the form of an argument, which in this case would be disproving the resurrection, and then with a sequence of logical events, in this case, the seven brothers all marrying the same woman, ultimately leading to an absurd consequence which would be, at the time of the resurrection, who would this woman be married to, since she was married to all seven brothers in this world? And so the Sadducees are referencing the law of Leviticus. Now, this law obligates a brother that he has to marry his brother's wife in the event that that brother died, and they didn't have any children. The assumption is, if they did have children, the kids would then care for their mother. But if not, the brother would then have to care for and marry his brother's wife. And essentially, it was a social safety net. Someone must care for the widow, either her children or the brother that marries her. Now, Jesus' answer is one in which he's teaching us about how to understand the resurrection ourselves. Does Jesus concede anything in the argument? Absolutely not. Instead, he corrects their way of thinking about the resurrection. Now, what's the Sadducees' real understanding of the resurrection? They believe the resurrection essentially is a return to this ordinary world that we know here and now. We would refer to it in our day and age as a reincarnation. Essentially, you die and then you reincarnate as another person in the same world. Notice Jesus' response. The children of this age marry and remarry, but those who are deemed worthy to attain to the coming age and to the resurrection of the dead neither marry or are given in marriage. Now, why does Jesus respond this way? Well, one of the important tenets about marriage is the propagation of children. And it's very specific in the ritual of marriage. In this ceremony, the church asks a direct question to the married couple. Will you accept children lovingly from God and bring them up according to the law of Jesus and the church? Well, the propagation of children is primarily based upon our own mortality. You know, we have to come to the fact that all of us, at some point in time in our life, will die. Our bodies are not made for eternity. And so, we need children to carry on the human race. If we stopped having children now, 
the human race would end within a matter of just a few years or maybe a decade or so. And so we need children to carry on the human race, generation after generation. More to it, we need children to carry on our church into the future. Therefore, the propagation of children is based upon our own mortality. That's why Jesus says, The resurrection of the dead neither marries or is given in marriage. Marriage after resurrection isn't necessary because we don't need to carry on the next generation in heaven or repopulate heaven. Instead, the resurrection is not burdened with mortality, but rather is filled with immortality to come. See, this is a great reminder of the resurrection for us all. It's at the heart and the center of our faith and our teachings of our church. And how appropriate now during this time of season in which we celebrate All Saints Day, All Souls Day, and our memorial masses in which we honor our beloved dead. We attest to the fact that Jesus clearly died. We see that. It's attested to by all four gospel writers. They tell us that Jesus died at the hands of his enemies, similar to the story in the first reading from 2 Maccabees. But we also know that Jesus rose from the dead. And so Jesus, we could say, embodies that physicality of the resurrection. We know for a fact the post-resurrection stories in the gospel about Jesus is one in which the apostles, they see Jesus, they hear him, they touch his wounds, and they see him eat food. Jesus' resurrection isn't a return or reincarnation into this world. His resurrection is one in which he transcends time and space. That's why he's able to pass through locked doors and appear to his apostles. But mind you, Jesus is not a ghost. He's absolutely real. See, Paul talks about this in his letters. He writes about when we are risen from the dead, we are given spiritual bodies like Jesus. That's why at every Mass on, on the weekend, we recite the Nicene Creed. And at the very end of the Creed, we say, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. You see, we recite that because we believe in the resurrection. It's at the core of our beliefs. Jesus died and rose from the dead for us. Paul puts it best in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. He says, if Jesus had not risen from the dead, our faith is in vain. And that is so true. Our faith teaches us. Jesus wants nothing more than to share his resurrection with us so that we might all have immortality to come. Now, does this mean we have to withdraw from the world, hide in a quarter, and wait for our death and resurrection? No, just the opposite. We have to engage the world, motivated by the goal, which is heaven, to come for each and every one of us. Paul puts it best if you go to the second reading for this weekend. Paul says, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting encouragement, and good hope through his grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen them in every good deed and word. And so, essentially, fixated on the goal, which is heaven, we go out and we engage the world. We engage stewardship, a lifestyle of stewardship, in which we share our prayers and prosperity for the benefit of our faith community. We take advantage of lifelong faith formation opportunities at our parishes. 
as Catholics, we believe in the resurrection. And it is a gift given to us by Jesus Christ, a manifestation of his intense love for us all. We do not earn it. It is a gift. What we have to do, go out and engage the world and live lives that are truly worthy of that great gift. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.